I'm Louise Thomas-Mins, skin health therapist, expert, educator, product formulator, entrepreneur and mum. I have been in the business of nurturing people's skin back to health for 15 years. In this podcast, I'm going to bring you some of my 26 years of experience and I allow you to be a fly on the wall in my treatment room. Most of all, I want this podcast to boost my mission, which is to educate you in how to become your own skin health expert and help you to find the tools to do this. My dad used to grow aloe vera that he'd use on his face. Oh, wow. I guess I've always been a little bit of a tree hugger. (laughs) When I was in my late teens, I began to do that. They used to be really boringly packaged in kind of beige, just, they were boring. We should always think of it as being something that's actually a really positive thing. It's not about sacrificing, it's about celebrating. dive into this week's guests, I want to tell you about our sponsors Panasonic Beauty. Their three-pillared approach to personal care focuses on investing in yourself, their superior quality and Japanese excellence. Their range of skincare devices enables you to benefit from nano-ionic, sonic vibration, microcurrent, hot cool and patented microfoam technology. I've been using and recommending their skincare devices for over five years now as a great way to deeply cleanse, hydrate, firm, tone and care for your skin between professional facial treatments. You can find out more about the range by heading to their Instagram profile at Panasonic Beauty UK. Linda Darbo has an award-winning conscious beauty and lifestyle blog called Wonderlusting, which is now in its 10th year. She is a beauty awards judge who strives to live sustainably and joyfully. I am delighted to have the opportunity to chat to Linda today about how she lives that sustainable and joyful life. And I can't wait to compare bathroom cabinets. Um, Linda, thank you for joining me and welcome to the Skin Pod. Hello, good morning, and thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, oh fantastic. Well, I'm just really intrigued, um, especially actually when, when you, we sort of chatted and you said about trying to live your life both sustainably, but also joyfully as well. So yeah. let's let's kind of dive into that first. Sure. Was there a moment when your interest in sustainable beauty began? Honestly, it's kind of meshed in with lots of different things in my life. So there isn't a single moment that I can pinpoint. It's partly to do with my um, grandparents having a farm, so in Africa. So I grew up around kind of nature and nature being used on a daily basis. So, you know, my dad used to grow aloe vera that he'd use on his face. 
So oh, wow. it was all kind of, yeah. So my dad was actually the original um, metropolitan man. He did facials. Um, oh, I love he, that. He literally used to do facials and get, he had aloe vera that he grew. And we weren't allowed to touch it because it was especially for him to use on his face. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so um, it, it partly was doing that. So just always having nature around me as something that was part of daily life. And then also I began to have allergies. So it forced me to kind of start looking at labels. So again, that forced me to learn about what was in my products and how they were grown. And then finally, I guess I've always been a little bit of a tree hugger. So I was looking at, yeah, I was, you know, so I was looking at sustainability in terms of the food I was eating and it kind of became, oh, so food, clothing, who's making it, my beauty products. So it all kind of connected with things that were all part of my life. Yeah. There wasn't one moment. It was kind of basically a journey, I suppose, that everything was kind of building up to. That's amazing and oh I love the fact that that influence literally came from your childhood and that just fascinates me with your dad so what age did you move to the UK how long was that sort of lifestyle a real part of your life yeah so I moved I came um, when I was 11 I moved okay. I moved here so I've been here before on holiday but properly to you know like to live here as I've done now was when I was 11 so but, you know, what was quite funny is that when I think back at times, I was like, oh, I really wanted to go to like buy plasticky things because to me that was like, oh, really amazing. Yes. And oh, why, you know, having things off a tree was like, oh, how boring. I wanted to go and buy all, you know, when I first moved over here. But now, obviously, I really value what an amazing thing it was to have like moringa trees in my front garden. Oh, and wow. Have, you know. Now I really appreciate that. And I did, you know, when I was kind of my late teens, when I kind of got back into properly appreciating sustainability and, you know, stuff like the body shop and stuff. But yeah, 11 was when I moved over and when I last had that kind of day-to-day experience of just literally plucking things off trees and being able to use them as they were. So, but it kind of stays with you and you, I miss it. I really, I still miss it all these years later. Oh, I bet you do. I mean, is there any of that element still going on in your family life? Yeah, there is. I mean... Yeah, so my grandfather died, but then my grandmother took over running of the farm. And we've still got the farm going. So at Christmas, my grand sent me a big jar of Moringa powder, which literally, it was like, you can't get more organic or handmade or locally sourced, because literally front garden. So that's still, yeah, that still happens. The farm is still there. She's still, I mean, she's now got managers because she's, gosh, I want to say she's, how old is she? Maybe 80? Okay, yeah. So she's now got staff who who kind of who do the actual running of the farm for her. But yes, the farm is still there. She's still yeah, it's been because all all the farms around her have been kind of bought up by big multinational companies. Okay. So she's still kind of going strong with it. And yeah, we hope that we can kind of keep it in the family as, you know, things go on. So yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Do they so do they supply any of those amazing, you know, any of that amazing produce? Where does that go? Do they sell that or it's all kind of grown and sold locally within the area because it's it's not a massive, massive farm. She can't ship internationally, but it's also kind of locally in the area where she lives so oh my goodness me yeah (gasps) oh I just have visions of being able to go and mix all these amazing concoctions up and (laughs) put them directly on your skin it is amazing and also you know you really get to feel the power of nature because yeah you know you use fresh fresh ingredients I mean my mouth is kind of watering just thinking about it and remembering you can really feel how, you know, you can, your skin literally kind of gets, you know, life 
you can really feel kind of the life force of this fresh thing yeah in you and it's like when you eat something fresh off a tree the same thing the difference in how it tastes and how it feels it's just I feel very very lucky to have had that experience in my life Oh, that's absolutely amazing. And do you know what? That links us beautifully into one of the questions that I like to ask all of my guests, which I'm fascinated by people's skincare rituals when they were growing up or who influenced them. And you've already touched on the fact that actually it was your dad that maybe yeah. <laughs> influenced you. Um, so for me, it was kind of watching my mum apply her, oh, well, she used to take her makeup off with baby lotion of all things. But just this fascination of noting that she did take time whatever she was putting on she took a bit of time with her skin she always massaged her moisturizer in so for you what were those rituals that you observed like yeah I mean it's funny as a you know a young girl I was actually a complete tomboy zero interest in skincare or beauty or anything but I think I did so my mum used to steam her face I remember she used to like have a big bowl of hot water and do like a weekly steaming session and I remember that obviously you know because I remember when I was in my late teens I began to do that and I'd moved out of home at that point but I remember doing like a weekly steam session and so that you know obviously came from her and um, I'm trying to think of what else there was in terms of kind of really early beauty route yeah I think the steaming from watching my mum do it was probably the earliest kind of skincare ritual I suppose that I witnessed you know I said my dad as well so my dad's you know, having this aloe vera plant that was for his face. Nobody else could touch it. That was his face. <laughs> you know, to, yeah. So, oh, yeah. that is fantastic. And and so how, what are the things, it might be an obvious question, but what are the things that you do now to try and live sustainably? And and what do you mean by by living joyfully as well? Yeah, I think that, you know, this is a kind of, a, a, I guess, a wider issue topic, but there seems to be this idea that sustainability is a sacrifice and that using natural things is like, you should, you know, is this really, it's a burden. And if you think of things like flowers, how beautiful flowers are, flowers are in nature and they're joy, the design, the colours. So traditionally, you know, when I've, I've been using kind of, I guess, green beauty products for 10, 15 years, and things have changed recently, but they used to be really boringly packaged in kind of beige, just they were boring. They looked boring. They smelt boring. So this idea that natural and sustainable was this, you weren't getting as good as the stuff you'd get in, you know, for the luxury brands and so on. And it's completely false because nature is beautiful. Nature is joyful. Nature is vibrant. But that wasn't reflected in the products we could get. So I've always believed in, in terms of my sustainability journey, that pushing the fact that it's it's a joyful thing, that this is not about making do. This is about, wow, celebrating nature, celebrating Mother Nature, celebrating these amazing oils and these amazing plants that we are lucky enough to have the chance to, you know, put on our bodies and, you know, feel good about. That doing, reducing your use of certain things isn't a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. So our mindset needs to be, wow, this is amazing that we're doing this. It's not a case of, oh, God, you know, the planet is, you know, the planet is, let me not use, I was about to swear then. <laughs> um, you can swear, Gabriel. The planet, is, the planet is screwed. <laughs> but it's actually, there's, there's still things we can do. which We don't have to give up. It's like a bit like, you know, eating fruit and veg. Eating fresh fruit and veg is an amazing thing. Like if you pluck fresh strawberries, which you hardly ever get, but if you have a fresh strawberry, 
oh my God, it's one of the most amazing tastes ever. Yeah. It's rare because most of the strawberries we have are full of, you know, water and crap. But when you have a fresh strawberry, and it's the same with sustainable products, when you have something that's been beautifully designed in full, somebody's actually put all their thoughts and initiative and resources into creating this sustainable product. It's amazing. So that's what I mean about living joyfully, that we should always think of it as being something that's actually a really positive thing. It's not about sacrificing, it's about celebrating. Yeah, that's such a good point. And do you know what? You Yes, you're so right that if we think back to those early days, as you say, of, you know, sort of organic products. Yeah, the packaging was was really dull and boring and it all it had to be very tough. hessian. And um, so you're so right. I think, think it's certainly come a long, long way. Yeah, definitely. Staying on that theme then, if we're talking about sort of an obvious thing, I guess, with beauty products, cosmetic products, and we're looking at recycling, I'm really interested to know what your view on recycling is. Do you think it's, I mean, should we bother? Do you think it literally is just a waste of time? Because there's been a lot of kind of chat around, well, actually, you know, it's all very well recycling, but we haven't got the resources to clean and recycle this stuff properly. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know what your thoughts are on that and whether you feel that that is the most important thing that we should be looking at with when it comes to sustainable beauty. Right. Yeah. With the whole uh, yeah, recycling is, I mean, it's been a bit of a con, to be honest. Really, you know, that's the bottom line, because us consumers, we do the right thing, buy and, buy and recycling, but so much of it actually gets exported and dumped as rubbish in other countries, which makes me so, I feel really sick when I think about it. But in terms of, I don't think recycling is a con or something that we shouldn't do, but I do think that now where we are, Going back to reduce, reuse, recycling. I think recycle actually is the lowest rung of what we should be doing to be more sustainable. But I've noticed that in the last maybe year, in terms of bigger brands and retailers actually supporting recycling efforts, it's kind of improved massively. So until about a year ago, you couldn't recycle, you know, things like, you know, toothpaste, mascara. But now I've noticed Boots, just before Christmas, launched a scheme across all their stores I won't say let me check it may not be all their stores most of their stores yeah where you can take all those really hard to recycle things and they will you can actually track that they've actually recycled it and what they're doing with it wow yeah that's huge which I think is brilliant because before you would put it in for recycling and honestly most of it was just being going to landfill which as I said makes me feel kind of quite sick but now with this new initiative they've got you can actually track what you've put in and what's happened to it. And they also, I think, give you points. So it also is another way to encourage you. So if you, I think if you put three or four amounts, let me not get into the nitty-gritty of that, actually, because I don't know the nitty-gritty of, of that sort of the points side yeah, of it. Yeah, sure. But there, there's an incentive there, isn't there, to do it? And it's on every high street, because also recycling, you had to pay previously for all those little beauty products, which is one of the reasons why, you know, people are really good at recycling in the kitchen, but bathroom, I think it was something like, one in 10 or something, probably less than that, recycled bathroom products because it's so hard to do. But now, the fact that you can now do it on any high street, all those hard to recycle bits, you know, even pumps, all those things can now be recycled. So it is still worth doing because anything you can do, I think, to reduce 
what ends up in landfill is only a good thing. Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, I, I am that person <laughs> that I love a candle. Um, and when I finish burning that candle, they're often in those really lovely glass tumblers. I literally have pretty much a kitchen cupboard full of those glass tumblers because I can't, yep. although actually it's probably fairly one of the easier things to recycle. I actually reuse them to put, you know, actually my daughter uses them sometimes for putting paint in um, or storing her paintbrushes, or I might have some in the bathroom if they're really pretty and put cotton buds and cotton wool pads and things in. I've got some in the in the skin lounge on my trolleys with various things in. So I think actually there's some things, aren't there, that we could probably do at home. You know, if you've had a pot of cream in a glass jar, don't get rid of it. You know, wash that out really thoroughly. Give it a, you know, plunge it in some boiling water so it's sterilised. Maybe you could use that again to decant other products in or... So I think there's some, sometimes we forget to just go back to the basics, do you think, as well? Absolutely. Uh, you know, reduce, reuse, reduce, reuse, reduce, reuse. I can say that, you know, forever before recycling. So, you know, you know, I quite like fancy skincare. A lot of it comes in that Myron glass. Yes. Yeah. The kind of purple. Yeah. Which and actually that is actually really brilliantly used in the kitchen. So I put my spices in there and it can keep your spices fresh for such a long time. Oh, great idea. So obviously you've got to clean it properly and so on. But in the kitchen, because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I love cooking. And that's a really simple way of reusing it because you do end up with all these bottles and recycling sometimes actually uses quite a lot of energy. So on the one hand, you're doing this good thing of recycling, but actually the carbon footprint of recycling thing sometimes ends up being quite high. Yeah. So it's actually better to, as you were saying, what you were saying about reusing it for your storing things, brilliant idea. And reusing is one of the best things you can do without having to, you know, buy anything new. What I would love to see is um, more brands doing refills. Yes. Because, you know, I've got my candles and there must be a way where I can just get the candle once once finished and put it into the new glass jar. That's true. Yeah, if they almost had some mould. Well, they would. They have to make moulds. Like, oh, maybe they fill them straight into there. But yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I remember asking, God, probably about five years ago, I did a couple of things. So one, I went into a supermarket and I bought my fruit and veg shop and I took a picture of all the wrapping and it was disgusting. It was literally, my floor was filled with plastic wrapping. None of it was recyclable. Yeah. And I kind of asked the store, why are you wrapping all this stuff and why can't I recycle it? And at the time I got this, you know, bog standard response, blah, 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 how they were drying. But now if you look at the number of supermarkets that now have recyclable packaging. So I think as consumers as well, we can also ask brands to do better and that yeah. helps to change things. So refills is something that I kind of, I'm a bit passionate about. So I have been asking brands, you know, can you do refills? And I am seeing some brands doing that. So I'm hopeful that in the next like two or three years, refills will become something that are available and again that's reducing all the packaging all that waste all you know the stuff that we kind of throw away and I remember somebody saying to me once that whenever you buy anything always think about where it's going to end up because that really makes you think because everything has to go somewhere so whenever I buy something I mean I'd be lying if I said I did it every single time but I try really hard to always think okay how is this you know how is this going to end up when I've finished using it and it kind of informs the choices you make when you're buying products. Yeah. So for you, when you're looking, you know, if we're talking about buying a beauty or, you know, a cosmetic product, you look for that sort of the end result. So when you're going to pick something up, 
you're thinking, okay, I love the sound of this product and I want the benefits, but actually when I finish this bottle or jar, what's going to happen? Where is that going to end up? So that for you is is what you're thinking of as well as does is this product going to be great for my skin, my hair, my body? Yeah, you know, and it's hard sometimes. There's some things that I know that there is, you know, so there's certain, you know, bits of makeup. So for instance, I've discovered a company now that will recycle like eyeshadow palettes and stuff, but it's, they're very niche. And realistically, I know that they, they won't be able to handle everybody what to do because there's like this tiny little company, but you can send them, you know, used up palettes, which can't be recycled and they will do something with it, which is amazing. But that's not a solution on a mass scale, really. No. But I think that if we all think about these things, it does make a difference. And also going back to brands and retailers and asking them what they're doing, because the more people ask them, the more they kind of think about it. And then a bit of, you know, pressure makes a big difference. So all companies now. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm sort of have well have been on this journey for um for quite a few years now of being on the side of being a formulator and finally fingers crossed I won't go into the lengthy story now but my skincare range will be coming out soon but I totally I know very exciting um but I really do feel that it's actually quite challenging especially for smaller indie brands like me where of course you know we might have had we did have a level of investment but it's you know it's very much about we don't have the type of money that these great big corporations do so we we're trying to do as much as we can sustainably but it's really challenging and it actually becomes quite expensive to do so I totally hear what you're saying I think the more consumers can go to these brands and just put their ideas across or ask them what they're doing, that it might then actually eventually filter down so that from the formulation side of things, perhaps it will become easier for us to be more sustainable and more cost effective for us to be more sustainable as well. And I really think with us, we've sort of we've done what we can, but I feel that we've got to get going to then allow us down the line to go, Okay, now we can actually start to put some money into being more sustainable. So, yeah, it's a really good point. I think we do all need to just reach out to brands and try and work together. Because I think, you know, as a brand, if you know that 90% of your consumers are concerned about that, it's worth then trying to find a way, isn't it? So, and collaborate, you know, collaborate as companies. Absolutely. I think it's it's a the massive way forward because we're all part of this. We're all going to be affected and we're all, we all need to come up with a solution that works. And it's in everybody's interest to come up with a solution. So I think that, you know, big brands, when you look at their market share, you know, small brands, I love small brands. I love indie brands. It's pretty much what I use. But all the indie brands added together are still probably about 5% of, of all the conglomerates. Yeah. And all the conglomerates, if they were to change just one thing, like for instance, you know, I think one of them has said that they're going to go entirely plastic-free by 2025. Wow. And, I mean, when they produce billions of products, that is huge yeah. in terms of the impact they could have. So, and then, which ultimately, because they're then investing in plastic-free packaging, the price of that will come down for everybody else. Yes. Because their manufacturers 
and then haven't produced in billions of plastic free, you know, mouldings or whatever, whatever. And that brings the price down for everybody. So absolutely, collaboration is the way forward. Yeah. And if you were a decision maker then, Linda, in the in the sustainable world, is that the thing that you would want beauty and cosmetic companies to sort of focus on that sort of it sort of filtering down from the big guys who, let's face it, can afford to potentially make those bigger changes? Yes. I absolutely think the big companies, because number one, big companies, from my experience, they often, in terms of their products, they actually often are inspired by smaller companies who do all the hard work of coming up with innovation. And and then they kind of come in with their big money and they, I won't say copy, I'll say they're inspired by. So they need to return that favor and use what they have, which is marketing clout and money to do more for the industry by improving the way they, you know, A, what they pay their staff who are making these products, their packaging, and being more sustainable. That's what they have to give because the smaller companies give innovation. They give ideas. They give, you know, they often are the first ones. If you think of an ingredient that, you know, argon or whatever, that's an example. Smaller companies have been using that for a long time. And then big companies come along and think, oh, that's an ingredient. So what I would say is bigger companies absolutely need to be collaborating and giving back to the industry because they have taken quite a lot out of it. They need to be given. That's what I would ask companies to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm having a conversation with Madeline actually from Juni Cosmetics. I know you've you've oh, used yes, some yes. of their of her <laughs> lovely vegan lip care products and I do lovely lipsticks. Yep. Again, you know, they are just amazing. She's she's so forward thinking in terms of what they're doing with their aluminium packaging and we had yep. you know a great conversation a- around that. So you know, I think down the line to have a little bit of help and leverage so that, you know, those other bigger brands go, oh, yeah, actually, you know, let's work out a way how we how can we team up here? So it's almost like there's this the larger scale recycling reusable centre where we could all go, oh, brilliant. We could all send our packaging back here. We can all benefit from this. Um, and it makes the costs and everything a little bit easier and, and cheaper to do. So absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think there's a bit of hope that it will happen. And I think it has to happen. I think the issue is going to be forced, isn't it? So yeah, that's the thing. I think it will. And I think uh, 100%. And I, you know, I've noticed that it's been happening more in the US where lots of these big companies have been buying out small companies more sustainable companies so I think they have seen that actually it affects their bottom line being sustainable is now something that consumers want so they have to do their part if they want to kind of carry on making money ultimately so you know money making is a very motivational force for large companies and when they see that that's something that consumers want then they have no choice but they have to kind of do better on that front yeah, absolutely. Um, I need to ask you about your bathroom cabinet. What are you using at the moment, Linda? Does your routine change quite a lot? Because obviously, I know with your blog and, and you're very prevalent on Instagram, reviewing different products, and you're always researching different brands. But do you sort of chop and change quite a lot? Or is there always things that are in your cabinet that you're like, oh, I just can't live without those products or that product? I do, you know, from the mix of, you know, um, being a skincare junkie <laughs> to, um, you know, reviewing, <laughs> to judging, to, you know, testing, you know, part of my work is trying out new products. I do use a lot of products, but for me, it's more types of products. I do have some specific, you know, serums that I absolutely love, 
when it tends to be types of products that I, and it varies according to what my skin is doing. So winter time, my skin hates winter. Oh God, it gets really dry and <laughs> cranky and not happy. So, you know, I've just been somewhere very you know, tropical, which is my skin has loved. My skin loves humidity. So, um, yeah. so now at the moment, it's kind of oil, hydration. So I vary my skin according to um, what the weather's doing how my skin is, you know, just generally feeling and behaving. Sometimes the time of the month, it just, it, I kind of, I don't have a specific routine. It's all to do with what my skin needs at a specific time. And sometimes, like if I'm stressed, for instance, my skin becomes really dehydrated. So I need to use, I use kind of more hyaluronic acids. And so it kind of depends on what my skin, but there's certain things that I always, so generally speaking, my skincare routine is mornings, I like to cleanse with either a cleansing oil or cream cleanser, because I've got dry skin toner and then oil and a vitamin c serum generally in my kind of daytime and then i tend to use more active things when i can at night time because i find that's just how my skin and not too often because my skin is sensitive so i try not to be too aggressive with it um you know i'm obsessed with i don't like to disrupt my acid mantle so i'm kind of obsessed with always keeping my skin and you know nothing that's going to disrupt the ph level lovely and just keeping it really hydrated and i like my skin to glow rather than that's my yeah I, wherever possible i want my because i've got very dry skin and so i don't ever want it to look dry and like a, a piece of sand i always want it to look yeah. kind of <laughs> glowing and so i also do a kind of face massage and oils i'm a complete oil junkie i love oils from head to toe uh kind of a must so yeah lovely yeah I love that. I mean, that is just, yeah, you're kind of singing to my philosophy of, um, you know, we always say that your skin changes every minute of every day. So it's, that doesn't mean that you should be jumping from one product to another twice a day, but it means that you need to be mindful and observing what's happening externally and internally um, in and how that's affecting the skin to change. Um, so yeah, really great that you understand that actually your skin responds really nicely in humidity, but actually not so great in, you know, the sort of the dryness of winter. And also, yeah, the, the acid mantle, that lipid barrier is something I am always yeah. talking about. It's the most integral part of any skin issue it has to begin with having that strong lipid barrier which encompasses what we call the acid mantle which is about that ph level so yeah i love that and nice that you get to try those products but also that you go actually i know when i need to step away from something rather than just using it for the sake of it and overusing products on your skin yeah, no, I'm really, I'm, I'm sad. I, you know, there's sometimes when brands approach me and I can say to them, no, sorry, I've been testing. Can't test anything for the next month because I need to give my skin a break. Yeah. And also it's one of the things that you kind of realise that so having allergies and having sensitive skin actually has turned out to be a blessing because it's forced me to learn about my skin and it's forced me to learn about the ingredients of my skin and it's forced me to be gentle with my skin. So when I have, you know, friends or who've kind of used acids every day or morning and night or whatever, and they're now having to repair their um, skin. What do you call it? Skin, skin. You just said the word. The barrier. Yeah, the lipid barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they've gone mad with it. I've never had that problem because I was forced to be gentle with myself. Yeah. 
oh, it, it's working because your skin, I can confirm uh, that it is it is beautiful and, and very glowy and fresh. So you're a brilliant <laughs> advocate for uh, for what you kind of work for and towards. Oh, thank you. Oh, it, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Linda, for this conversation. You've certainly, um, you know, given me a really brilliant insight into some areas of kind of sustainability and green beauty. If our listeners want to go and have a chat with you about anything or find out more information about what you do, where's the best place that they can come and find you? Sure. I'd say if you head over to my blog, which is wonderlustin.co.uk or Instagram, where I am wonderlustinlinda with a Y. And you can two places where you can always find me pop into my DMs if you want to. I'm quite happy with that. People always kind of hitting me up for questions or whatever. That's absolutely fine. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much again. Um, Really enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be having other chats ourselves via those DMs as well. Thank you, Linda. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Coming next, it's the fly on the wall. This week's episode is brought to you in conjunction with Panasonic's device with radio frequency and ultrasonic technologies targeting the visible signs of ageing. Warming heat combines with deep hydration to plump the cells and leave skin feeling visibly lifted. The radio frequency technology delivers heat deep into the skin's dermis for visibly smoother skin. Ultrasonic waves increase moisture levels in the outer layers of the skin, which leave skin feeling instantly lifted. Used together with conductive gel, the radio frequency facial device targets common signs of ageing. Head to their Instagram profile at Panasonic Beauty UK to learn more and purchase this skincare device. It would make my day if you subscribe to the Skin Pod. Um, and I was expecting a immediate fix. I was expecting to take these hormones and, you know, not have the skin issues and the, you know, emotional side of it and, you know, the the lack of energy and that kind of thing. So I'd kind of set myself up to fall, if that makes sense, without that sounding too negative. It's still an ongoing journey, if I'm honest, Louise, um, and, you know, something I have to keep working on. Yeah. And, and so just to confirm at the moment, because you're not alone, obviously, though, thankfully, there's a lot more being spoken about with regards to perimenopause and menopause. But as in, um, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of female clients that are saying the same thing that, it you know, it's not cut and dry. It's not like they're suddenly supplementing these hormones and it all goes away and everything's fine and it's a, a cure-all for life issues and it's a cure-all yep. for skin issues. Um, and a lot of them have said that it's taken them, you know, a good few months of chopping and changing. So trying the patches, trying the gels, trying, you know, take orally taking the, the hormones before they get, you know, the right combination. Um, and I think, you know, obviously I've, I've spoken to you as well about kind of my history with this and and I'm still not convinced that what I'm doing is perfect but it's definitely got better but there were months in the middle that really weren't that great that were actually really awful again 
what kind of so what kind of symptoms for you just because again everybody obviously is very different but for you in terms of skin health and then also some of those other symptoms did you suffer with or are you suffering with that made you go hang on a minute there's yeah there's something not quite right here so really quickly um because you know i i will be taking up all of your recording time on this amazing podcast i had about an 18 month two-year battle with the gp to actually recognize that i was in perimenopause my age i said they said i was too young they said you know we can't test you so it was a bit of an ongoing battle so then when he did finally agree and after obviously chatting to you and um he did agree to give me some tablets which I felt amazing in the first couple of weeks and I was like oh wow this is it (laughs) you know oh yeah (laughs) everything is back to normal and um it's yeah it's been a roller coaster and I have had you know, weeks of this isn't working, what shall I do? I am still on the same tablets. I am giving it a little bit more time, but I don't think they're quite right for me. But equally, I don't know what is. So it's really interesting to hear you say that you've been chatting to other women that have been chopping and changing. And it's strange because I'm scared to change. Yeah. It's weird, you know. Yeah, no, I don't think that's weird at all. And I think it's obviously really normal now looking back on those first, you know, few months that I started. Um, So uh, I'm doing the transdermal gel uh, from the oestrogen viewpoint and then taking progesterone two weeks out of four. And I Mm. had that real kind of like, ta-da moment in the first month where, where I felt a lot calmer. So those sort of cognitive symptoms settled. The physical symptoms were a bit better, but not perfect. But actually, I definitely noticed that my skin almost, it looked more youthful it looked younger and I was thinking oh my god this is amazing I've only been on this a month and then yeah the roller coaster began um were were your symptoms are they quite physical still or is it for you again it's more kind of cognitive and highs and lows with mood swings do you know Louise it's it's a bit of a mixture of um of all of the things that you've mentioned and I think amazingly opening myself up to obviously I follow you and we you know we do chat on a personal level and I'm now beginning to realize more things have gone on that I actually sub you know subconsciously even knew so um you know with my skin health you know things are changing I am changing my skin is changing but until I've chatted about it and been open and listen you know listening to others and there are some big changes that are happening to me without me really realizing it so it's it's a real mix for me the lack of motivation is the biggest thing for me as you know I've always been you know going to the gym and I don't go anymore and I can't get it back at the moment so it's the motivational side and I think having a chat with my doctor, they're now starting to think that my testosterone levels are basically non-existent. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. A lot of evidence around that. And 
again, um, you know, client confidentiality. So obviously not naming any names here, but I um, I may have told you this. I, I uh, for reassurance reasons, I had another client in. We were having a similar conversation about how her skin um, in terms of outbreaks had gone from being horrific because I now think she is perimenopausal to us getting it under control, her then going on HRT, supplementing, whatever you want to call it, and her skin improving even more. And we're like, brilliant, this is fantastic. To then, two or three months in, her emailing me in a panic saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm breaking out again. They are sore. They're not healing. I feel low because of my skin. Um, And exactly that. It was the testosterone was the missing link. Fast forward Mm. to a few weeks ago when I saw her and she practically skipped into the treatment room. And this was maybe about day seven or eight of, of applying this tiny, tiny bit of testosterone. Her skin had all calmed down. And we were back on track wow. again. So, oh, well, that is fascinating. So th- so they've discovered that through a blood test for you, Louise, or they're going to do No, it was, it was just literally having a consultation with the GP, which, unfortunately for me, he has very limited knowledge of. Yeah. The whole testosterone side of things, which, I, you know, bless him, I think is pretty common. Yeah. Sadly from what so, I understand. Tough, isn't it? Yeah, so he's referred me to um, the hospital, which was um, back in November, and I've still not heard anything. So it's I'm kind of waiting on it to see, you know, what happens. But you know, I I have experienced outbreaks, um, which I've never had in my life. I'd have an odd spot, but it's. You know, it's hormonal area, which I'm sure you will tell me, you know, it's kind of jawline and that kind of thing. Um, but for me, is the ageing process. So I would probably say that I am at latter stages of perimenopause and my skin is ageing really quickly. And um, it seems to have accelerated during this period so I'm the kind of person that's thinking okay you know maybe it's lockdown maybe (laughs) you know everyone is like I've aged through lockdown what's going on but realistically I'm thinking I don't know this is a conversation I need to have with my skin pal Louise (laughs) is it menopause is it perimenopause is that what it is that it accelerates you know around my mouth you know my my collagen is going, Louise, you know? Yeah, you have articulated that beautifully and hit the nail on the head. So the decline in collagen is rapid when we hit that perimenopausal okay. age, which let's face it, you know, there's now very, very strong and good evidence to say that women in their early 30s could be perimenopausal. And I think mm. maybe what we need to do is especially from my viewpoint as a skin therapist, is actually start looking at perimenopause and menopause as obviously being something that is inevitable that a woman is going to go through, a bit like, you know, puberty. And I think that's the thing. It's accepting it's going to happen. However, we're now really blessed with all of this amazing research and data and um, we don't have to put up with those symptoms. So, yes, you're right the aging process does accelerate and oddly 
I see a lot of that around this kind of change in um, hormones affecting around the mouth. So a lot of women, and in fact, I can remember my mum saying to me years ago, look at all these lines on my upper lip. Why have I don't smoke? Why have I got all of these lines around Mm. my mouth? And it's definitely an area that flags up first when it's associated with perimenopause and menopause fascinating and annoying and then yes so so first of all yes accelerated aging is something that we talk about and see a lot with this kind of change of phase in life and hormones um therefore more lines and wrinkles more kind of such a depressing topic more kind of sagging and slackness to the skin particularly along the jawline and then you can also have um, these hormonal outbreaks again you've described around the jaw around the chin very classic ovary led you know hormonal areas for women and that's really distressing especially if you know if you're somebody that's never suffered with acneic outbreaks and you're suddenly getting these whoppers you're already anxious probably not feeling that confident and motivated about yourself anyway and then you've got all of these Mm. skin issues going on and another thing that that uh, women tend to suddenly uh, get more of or can suddenly appear is hyperpigmentation as well because the hormones will affect how your melanin the color that obviously we get when we're exposed to the skin how that's regulated and you can start to get these uneven patches of melanin um, occurring as well. Now, that can be from old, you know, kind of sun use, uh, incorrect sun use, um, sun abuse is what I'm trying to say, um, and incorrect sun care. But increasingly, it's also because of the way the hormones affect the production of melanin within the skin as well. Um, so... And and dryness as well, you know, that sort of tightness, dryness, flakiness to the skin, that sort of lack of moisture and glow. Do you feel like you've had to change your skincare? Have you have you sort of done that and kind of thought, oh, do you know what? That is just not working for me anymore. I need to to rethink. Um, Yes. And interestingly, you just mentioned that. And one of the biggest things for me is my skin doesn't feel hydrated. I can drink as much water as I possibly can consume. I still wake up with, oh, I feel like I need to put everything on my face (laughs) to make it feel soft and, you know, hydrated. And so I am literally, Louise, trying anything and everything I can possibly get my hands on. You're probably gonna tell me off. No, um, <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> because, you know, it's like I don't want to keep chucking these things at my skin and I'm doing the wrong thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, I've tried so many things, serums, waxes, oil, um, retinol, crystal retinol. Um, yeah, everything. Yeah. So so let's just kind of, I mean, first of all, I think we, we should say that it's really important to reevaluate the skin all of the time because my belief is the skin changes yeah. every minute of every day, irrespective of how old you are, what your skin type is and what any issues that you're trying to achieve. So I don't think it's a bad thing to be reevaluating. And I think it's really good that you have that awareness of my skin feels like this. 
what can I do to help it? Why does it feel that Mm -hmm. way? And all of those kind of conditions that you're describing fit in that stereotype of perimenopause and menopause. I think the danger is trying to jump from one thing to another, which I can understand because you're desperate to get a result. You know, it's about being consistent and giving things time. So, for example, retinol, Mm -hmm. which... I know would be great for your skin because I I know your skin to a degree and and it would definitely be something that I feel your skin can handle. But there will be some women um, going through this stage of life that actually, because it's affected the barrier, will find that they struggle to use any actives because it sensitizes their skin. It makes them a bit reactive. So you do need to be cautious with dabbling too much in um, inactives, but definitely for you, I would say, yeah, let's find you a really nice retinal molecule that sits well with you and you could build up to using two to four times a week. And from a hydration viewpoint, I love the fact that you've mentioned the drinking water um, (laughs) because it is a little bit of a myth. It's a really good thing to do. We all need good fluid within our body every day but it's not the way to hydrate your skin. It's not going to do anything to improve the hydration of your skin. But what will is... I didn't know that. Oh, there you go. So, so, (laughs) yeah, drink your water, drink your herbal teas, your green teas, drink your good quality coffee. If you can tolerate caffeine, then that doesn't make your symptoms worse. But ultimately, you need your good fats. And that will also help with the regulation of your hormones as well. So... Every day, you're going to look at your diet and go, where am I going to get my good fats from today? Is it going to be walnuts, some oily fish, um, avocados don't have omegas, but they're still really good in monosaturates and they have lots of vitamin E in. So eating your good fats will help with that hydration from within and then layer, layer, layer your hydration. So hyaluronic serums on a damp skin, spritzing over the top with a really nice kind of gentle toner for example then putting your moisturizer on when the skin's slightly damp and if you need to and you're lucky enough perhaps to be working at home and you're not really going anywhere you could reapply your moisturizer during the day or spritz during the day so don't be afraid of topping your moisturizer up especially if you're in the winter and it's a heated environment or the summer and it's an air conditioned environment um Mm. so yeah they're they're definitely some sort of key points to think about yeah it's it's fascinating yeah any other kind of questions that you want to to pose around that um no I don't think so I think it's it's good to hear because I do struggle to drink cold water in the winter (laughs) I haven't had any cold water today. Actually, it's all 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 herbal teas for me so far today. That's yeah, all, all me hot too. Water. You know, yeah, yeah. I I drink water as soon as I get up. Warm water with lemon, um, and I do try and drink a liter once I get up. That's kind of from my exercise background. Is yeah. you know, you drink a liter of water before before you have breakfast, before you train. Um, so that's, but I'm struggling to then drink more water throughout the day. So I, I stick to my green tea, peppermint tea, nettle tea, that kind of thing. Perfect. Um, interestingly, Louise, my good fats aren't great at the moment. Uh, okay. Okay. I don't like fish. Okay. 
So um, I do struggle with that. I do take omega and I do eat avocado. It might be a time to sort of dip your toe into a really nice, um, yeah, sort of good quality all round omega supplement. But things Mm. like, I mean, walnuts actually are the king of omegas. So a small handful of walnuts throw them into porridge, smoothies, granola, flaxseed, chia seeds, all of those are, first of all, are a really good combination for skin health. But secondly, flaxseed in particular, again, has some very interesting evidence around hormonal health. Um, So again, that might be worth having a little, have a little read about flax seeds and you can get the milled stuff so you don't have to grind your seeds up because if it's milled, it's already broken down. It's easy for the body to process. So they would definitely be ways of, yeah, getting, getting your good fats in um, on a daily basis. Brilliant. Perfect. I shall try those. If you are enjoying listening to The Skin Pod, then I would be delighted if you could hit that subscribe button. It also means that you'll be updated when we launch the next episode.